0: To those messages, um, even the little shout out from Mike at the beginning of his sermon last week. Um, <laughs> I was watch, actually watching. He wasn't sure if I was, but I was. Um, but uh, it's good to be back. It's also, it was great. How many of you made it to the marriage conference yesterday? Um, so, we had a great group. I, I'll be honest, I was thinking maybe a few dozen people would show up, but then registration kept growing, and I think we ended up with like 90 people. Uh, so, that was a lot of fun uh, for me. I loved seeing uh, the discussions, couples interacting, hearing the testimonies and the panel. Uh, all of that was so encouraging to me. If you weren't able to make it uh, for whatever reason, we did record it and we're working on it. We're going to edit that down, I think, and put that, be able to make that available uh, to you. So, but I wanted to, I think, the the panel yesterday and thank the couples that gave their testimony, but I realized I overlooked someone that was very important, and that is Molly Dykstra. Um, Molly, Molly was a rock star yesterday behind the scenes, would not have happened without her quite, quite literally, um, and so thank you to her and her uh, husband who is not on staff but also serves so faithfully with her, um, so big thanks for that. Uh, when I started sitting on a hill 11 years ago, or when we started, it was a group of us. Um, I had no idea. I had some dreams and hopes, but I had no idea what God would do um, over those years. It was, um, it was, it's kind of funny thinking back to that time. But it's, uh, it's something I don't do a lot. I'm, I tend to be future oriented uh, and and not look back. But the past is is an incredible testimony to what God has done in our midst over. Uh, 11 and a half years now, Uh, there've probably been uh, 30 or 40 different community groups, maybe even 50. I I couldn't even begin to go back because there were ones that combined and ones that multiplied and all of that. But, uh, But just rough estimate, it's at least 30 or 40, maybe even 50 different community groups of people who were sharing lives together, praying together, uh, looking at the word together, encouraging each other, uh, marriages that were encouraged, singles were encouraged, people who had children. uh, Tons of children have been through our COA Kids ministry. Uh, I think about right before COVID hit, we hit our record of like 66 kids in our COA Kids ministry. Uh, And so like God has used that in an incredible way. Um, We have seen around 125 baptisms, including Daniel's. Um, he didn't share his story, but we'll, uh, we've got a video of his actual testimony story uh, that Mike, Mike edited a couple years ago, when, or a year ago when he was baptized, uh, that we'll, we'll uh, look at trying to post that this week, or maybe even share it in the weekly newsletter. It's such a great testimony um, of how God uh, saved, saved Daniel. Uh, over $5 million has been given to City on the Hill to help us to carry out our mission. $5 million. That's, that's insane to think about. Uh, early on, we decided that we were going to give 10% of that away immediately to uh, outside partners and organizations to help forward the gospel locally and globally around the world, forward the kingdom. Uh, and so that means over $500,000 has come out of this church and gone to help plant local churches, serve local ministries, and forward the gospel to the nation's half a million dollars out of this congregation, right? It's, it's, it's huge. We've, uh, tens of thousands of hours of service have been given uh, through COA members, even if you just don't count set up and tear down. That's, that's a gob of hours if you add up the, the, the man hours for that for a year uh, and multiply that over 11. Um, but think about our Brookline, our partnership with the Brookline Housing Steps to Success program and the work we've been able to do there by God's grace. The ESL program they have, the Uh, The Big Move, right, Um, which hopefully we'll be able to do this fall. Uh, Kids' Summer Adventure, movie nights, and then sponsoring events with the town behind the scenes. Thousands, tens of thousands of service hours have gone into that. There's so much uh, to be thankful for. There really is, and I have to, it's important for me to turn and look back at at what God has done as I think about the future, because uh, sometimes, you know, I I get in my head and start thinking about the future and what what could go wrong, Um, and the question that I struggle with, because I've studied scripture intently, I've studied church history intently, I know what's happening globally around the world right now with the church, and there is one consistent thing that happens with churches. They drift. They drift. They drift often after good things, after good times, after God has moved, after God has, has blessed them, the church will often get off track and, and drift. And this struggle is real, and it's a very real uh, battle we face. And I think the danger sometimes is to think, well, it's a, it's a system. We need to develop a better discipleship system, or we need to work on this thing or that thing, or we need to have better ways for lead- people to serve in leadership. And those are all good things, not knocking those at all, but those are all also things we do. And, and they're, they're very earthly. They're very physical. They're very human. But if you remember a couple of weeks ago, as, as uh, Tyler preached on it, and, and Mike sort of picked up the back end of it, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 is about spiritual warfare. And not one of it is, you don't have a good discipleship system in place. It is, there are principalities and powers that are coming against our church, and not one method in there is come up with a better system. Think about this, try to organize that better. It is that, that there are powers coming against us and we need to recognize it. That's why Paul Paul, after this beautiful letter of Ephesians, wrote about the, the, the glory of the gospel in chapter one and chapter two, chapter three, and then all the practical insights about, about marriage, about family, about how we treat each other, about work, and all those things. He lands the book in what? Spiritual warfare. He knew the Ephesians as great as what had happened. Remember, uh, we, Ephesians is one of the few books, actually the only church we have, we have a, a, almost a, or a, a large picture of. We have more information about the Ephesian church than any church in the Bible because you can go back to Acts chapter 19 and see how the Ephesian church was began, how it began, how Paul came to the city, preached the gospel. The city was in an uproar. There were people freaking out. The, the entire amphitheater in Ephesus was filled, and people were screaming and wanted Paul to die. And, um, and then there was this major revival where people brought, uh, brought all their books, their, their pagan uh, uh, witchcraft books, basically, and burned them in the middle of the city. And God moved in an incredible way. And then this letter is 10 years later, right? The Ephesian letter. So we we have this microcosm of like what happened at the beginning, what what happened ten years in. And but then very uniquely God has given us another glimpse into the Ephesian church in Scripture. And that's actually in the book of Revelation. Now, we're not going to be talking about dragons or demons or you know uh, seven-headed beasts or anything like that today. I'm sorry uh, if that's what you're really excited about and want to do. <laughs> Maybe we'll do Revelation at some point. It's actually really interesting. Um, but uh, in the early book of Revelation, chapters two and three, um, Jesus shows up to his, his buddy John, his, the last living apostle, the apostle John. We know um, from the way he's described in the gospels, he's very young. He was the youngest of the disciples uh maybe even like a teenager um, at that point and uh Jesus loved him. Jesus had a heart for him and he wrote the Gospel of John. Later in life, after all the other disciples were dead, they'd actually tried to kill the Apostle John. They put him in a boiling vat of oil to try to kill him and he didn't die. It freaked them out. So they said, okay, we're going to exile you to an island called Patmos, which you can still visit today, but you do not want to visit because it's a desert island. It's not pretty. There's no palm trees with, uh, you know, or coconut trees or whatever. There's none of that, but it was a desert, rocky, unhigh hospitable environment that John in somewhere around 90, 85 or 90 AD uh, was exiled to. And that's where God showed up. Jesus shows up and gives him a vision and gives him letters to write to seven the seven major churches of Asia Minor at that time. And Ephesus is one of them. In fact, it's actually the first one. Um, and so the question I want us to think about today is, or as we look at this, is, is what happened to Ephesus? What is, what is Jesus' words? We had this beautiful letter, which, uh, gosh, I've had so many people, it's good for my soul to preach it, I'll be honest, 26 weeks or 25 weeks in the book of Ephesians has been good for my soul personally. Um, and so many people have talked about how God's used it to encourage them, to, uh, and they've grown to, to love this book. Um, but, but it's not, it, 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 the book is, is wonderful, but we can have a naive thought about what the future was for Ephesus, can't we? We sometimes think, oh, they rode off happily ever after into the sunset as a faithful church, the end, right? And then Jesus shows up. Um, But it didn't happen. That's not what happened. Um, The context for Revelation chapter 2 is uh, Revelation 1. (laughs) <laughs> that's, 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 that's Bible 101 right there. If you want to understand what chapter two is about, read chapter one. In chapter one, we have John, right? He's by himself. And at the beginning, in John chapter one, verse 10, um, <laughs> this is what happens to him. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So it was a Sunday and he was, be, he was full of the spirit, right? And he said, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, Now, the cool thing about it is we find out this is Jesus. And what an amazing thing for John to experience. Go go to John. John had seen all the other disciples die. Horrible deaths, right? He had seen Paul die. Paul died somewhere in the 60s, probably under Emperor Emperor Nero. He had seen Emperor Nero wipe out thousands of Christians, Diocletian murder thousands of Christians. It 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 was not a happy moment. They had tried to kill him. He remained faithful, didn't deny Christ, and he ends up on this island, and then Jesus comes to him. What a, what a sweet reward, right? Uh, and, he, and he has some words to say to him. It's a, it's a similar, um, I got to think it probably startled him because he said it sounded like a trumpet as well. I don't know if you've ever had someone come up with a trumpet behind you and blow it, but it's not like, oh, what's that? You know? Uh, <laughs> they, but the reason why it's, he's describing it as a trumpet is this is Jesus, the risen King Jesus He is ruling and reigning. If you remember Matthew 28, the end of Matthew 28, Jesus told his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is coming in authority and he speaks up to John. And he's not like, what's up, John? He speaks with authority. He speaks with a loud voice. And this is what he says in chapter two, verses one through seven. You can follow along in your Bible. And then when I'm finished, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. I invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know that you're like, what is that? We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, verse two, I know your works, your, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so I want to unpack this. So we we have the context of the Ephesian church. We've studied the book of Ephesians and, and, and that letter, and we have a context of what Paul's addressing and how the church is functioning. And then he uh, I want us to, to see what Jesus' message is to the church, what could be as 30 years, 40 years later even, um, and, and let God use that in our hearts and let the Spirit apply that to us. Uh, I want to give credit to um, Pastor Aaron at, at Coa Brighton. He preached on this last summer, and, uh, and I borrowed a few of his notes on this. Um, so I want to give credit for that. But let's see how uh, Jesus offers encouragement, a rebuke, and a call. Encouragement, a rebuke. And a call for the Ephesian Christians and for us. So let's talk about the encouragement. Now we all need that, right? It's always better. Somebody's gonna give you bad news, always always better if they're like, hey, you know what? I think you're doing good at this and this and this before they <laughs> let you have it, right? It helps. It helps. And and Jesus, Jesus wanted to encourage them. He says, there's two two contexts of encouragement here. The first is he's saying, I am with you. That he's meant to say, I am with you. And, and the 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 the, the Way we understand that is he speaks of this lampstand that, um, the lampstand in verse one to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is a symbol of the church, of, of the seven churches. Each church is a lampstand representing the light of the world, right? The church is shining the light of the world, which is like a city on a hill, right? This is where we get Matthew, we get our, our name from, Matthew five fourteen. We are, uh, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And so we're, uh, he says the, the Ephesian church is a true church. They have the light of the gospel. It's there. And he says, I am walking among you. He's walking among the church. He sees what's happening. He, he, he observes. He is in the moments of the church. I don't know if you thought about that. If you thought about the idea, uh, like sometimes I think we think of Jesus out there and he's kind of like observing the church but that's not what this passage is saying. He says he walks among the church. He's in the church. And this is a precious thing to him. The, the, the whole idea of a golden lampstand is not just like just any old lampstand, but gold was valued like it is today as a very, the most valuable metal. And so a golden lampstand meant this is his precious church. This is the light of the world. This is, um, he, he values, he thinks this is uh, church is beautiful. This is how God views you and I. This is how Jesus views us. I know you're thinking, well, if he walks among us, does he still think that? He walked among the Ephesians, and he's got, some, he's got a rebuke for them, but they were still a true church. And he, he saw that, and he values that, values them. They're precious to him. I mean, anybody uh, ever watch that show, Undercover Boss? Okay, a few people. Um, uh, the, it's not a complex show, but <laughs> if you've seen the commercial, uh, you know what the show is about. Uh, it, it, this the CEO of like you know Chipotle or something. They they uh, one day they um, take off their expensive suits and clothes and dress or whatever, and they put on like the the clothes of a of a common like base worker in, at a local Chipotle, and they show up there usually in a disguise in case their face is recognized, and they they they're going to work, right? That's their, their job. They're going to work there that day. Um, and it's, it's usually kind of funny because they come in and then the, you, know, you got this, this college graduate or college uh, student looking at the president CEO of the company and saying, that's not how you make a burrito. You know, you, can't you do it better than that? Um, and sometimes they can't. And that's what's funny is that the, the, the president CEO is so disconnected from what the company actually does. They don't even like have no, have no concept of the basic work, but sometimes they do. Um, but, but it's, it's funny you know he goes through that usually for a day or sometimes a few days and then at the end uh what happens they're they're in the boardroom right or in an office and the uh but now the the CEO is sitting at the end of the table and they don't have uh their their disguise on anymore and someone the person walks in and sometimes they recognize them and sometimes they're just like I don't know what's happening in this moment. And they sit down and they find out that's the CEO president, right? And they're kind of like, oh no, uh, did, was I nice? Did I do a good job? You know, all these things. And the, the CEO is, 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 it's usually really good for them. That's one of the things that I, I like about this show, uh, seeing it as, uh, I've only watched maybe four or five episodes over the years, but it's really great because they come to understand. Well, uh, But also for the person to understand how important it is living out sort of what the company believes. Well, Jesus doesn't just show up as undercover boss among us. He actually lives among us. He sees us. He sees your community group. He does. He sees your community group. He sees your worship on Sunday when you come here. He sees your prayer life. He sees how you're serving. He sees how you're giving. He sees all of that. Jesus is among us and he observes all of that. And I want to ask the question right off the bat before we get to what he says to the Ephesians about that how does that make you feel? Are you like the college student who's like, did I do a good job? Did I make the burrito right? You know, like, uh, We should think about it. We should think about the fact that Jesus is not far off. He is intimately involved and acquainted with us as his church. And this is where I would like, I want to make sure that we are open. We're asking ourselves through the rest of the sermon, what is the spirit have to say to us through this passage and the way the Lord would evaluate us. Well, how does he evaluate the Ephesians? Um, He gives them encouragement, I'm among you, but then he also identifies uh, some things they've done. Look at verse two and three. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. So they're, they're, they were smart enough to see these false apostles that were showing up that were saying something different about Jesus, but saying, oh, we're apostles equal with Paul and Peter, um, and they, won't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, endure them. And he says, verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So they've experienced some persecution, right? They've, they've persevered in a difficult time, in a difficult place. Ephesus was not a, a Christian haven. It wasn't Dallas, Texas, where like, you could throw a rock and hit 10 Christians, right? This, this was a, a pagan city. It was not welcoming. They were not glad they were there. They were not pumped up that the local church was growing. They were not excited at, uh, the, that what was happening with the church. They were fundamentally against the church, And this is one of the reasons why, well, the key word here and what he gives, he uses it twice, is endurance. Verse 2, he uses endurance. Verse 3, he uses endurance. It's this idea of sticking with something, right? It's sticking with it even though it's uncomfortable. It's sticking with it even when it's hard. It's sticking with it when you don't want to stick with it. And the Ephesians endured this. They lived in a crazy pagan city, over-sexualized culture with a a really broken family system and the way that families operated at that time. And Jesus said, I have seen your endurance and that you don't tolerate wicked people. It's good, right? And any church including City on a Hill, that has seen godly growth, has seen God move among them, uh, it has, a, has endurance. Because it's a part of of the way God grows his church is through the faithfulness of his people. Not always when it's easy, and I would argue mostly not when it's easy, but when it's hard. When, when, and I've seen uh, so many people over the years at COA who've, who've just served, despite not getting a lot of thanks, who've just done what needed to get done, even though there was no glory in it and there wasn't gonna be any uh, praise for it. I've seen people give when it was hard. I've seen people um, uh, sacrifice time who I'm sitting here going, how are you possibly sacrificing your time? You're, you're, you're a first year medical resident. You're working 700 hours a week or whatever it is. So I think you, you, know, you sleep every Tuesday or something like that. And you, and you show up for setup after doing a 24 hour shift. Who does that? Well, I'm saying people who are the backbone, the core of a healthy church that endures are people who will serve when it's hard, who will give when it's hard, who follow Jesus when it's hard. And there's all kinds of temptations. Listen, Boston, Boston requires endurance. Amen? It does. Even if you're from here, even if you grew up here, nobody here is like, well, it's just super easy doing life here. It's expensive, right? There's always a housing issue. There's always uh, pressure from the culture. There's always the density of population. There's, you know, and then in particular with COVID, the way we got hit maybe harder than most other cities in the country. And then we're, we're constantly um, living in a way that is against the predominant values of our culture. We work hard at our jobs, but we don't make our jobs God. We, we, we have our view and understanding of what a family is by what God has said and not what our culture says. In a world that says, be true to you, Jesus sees you being true to him, denying yourself, taking up your cross daily and trying to follow him imperfectly, okay? I'm not saying like you all are rock stars at this, we're not, but he sees that you're faithful, you're enduring, you've endured. Every one of us has been tempted to give in, right? Right? Every one of us has been tempted. It'd just be easier to sleep in on Sundays and stop going. It'd be easier to, to, to not be involved in community group. It'd be easier to not serve in that thing. It'd be easier not to show up for setup. It'd be easier not to serve and call kids. It'd be easier for not to not go do the big move. I, I think about people. I think about uh, hearing people talk about endurance hearing people with the big move who said who would uh come back and report yeah we our team there were four of us three of us uh and we helped uh like two guys move into a fifth floor walk up and there and and what's awesome and this is what i love we'll get to this a little bit later is there was a joy in them now they were drenched in sweat and they stank but like you know (laughs) there was a joy and, and they were like hey It really meant a lot to do this. It was good for us and obviously good for the the people we served. And that kind of endurance through uh, difficult times is worth encouragement. And so I think Jesus would look at City on a Hill today and say, be encouraged, you've persevered, you've endured a lot. But he also has a rebuke for the Ephesian church, which I think actually comes to us pretty, pretty directly. So Jesus rebukes the church. And the second point here, verse four, he says, but I have this against you. Pause on that right there. Jesus is sitting across the table from you. He said, hey, I've been at your work. (laughs) I've walked among you. I have this against you. Does your heart not drop at that? Like, and... And we should feel that. We just, I know I read over it earlier, just read, plowed right through it, but that should feel like something. King Jesus is saying, I have something against you. I have something about you that, that I'm concerned about, that I'm gonna rebuke you on. And he says, you have abandoned the love you had at first. It, it, it means it's, it's completely possible to be faithful to this thing To be what would look like a vibrant church, doing things, serving in some ways, and not have the love of Christ be our greatest love. He said, you have abandoned the love you have at first. This is a real danger. It's a danger for all of us. The, the Ephesian church had reached that second or third generation. I have no idea if they were as transient as we are, um, but I think the more transient the church, the more time, the more quickly the church can, can, lose, can get off track. Honestly, the more, more people are rolling in and out, the faster the church can kind of get off track. This was a, Ephesus was a stable community. I'm sure some new people showed up and some people moved away, but it just wasn't common to leave your city back then. So they probably had some stability. So it took 30 years, 40 years for them, uh, first generation Christians. We saw the revival. We remember the, the books burning. We remember Jesus, or we remember Paul preaching at, you know, wanting to preach at the, the, the area, at the um, amphitheater outdoors. We remember uh, praying together at night. We remember worshiping together on Sundays. We remember uh, following Jesus and fighting against the enemy. Uh, all the things that he said in the letter. They, this That first generation, the kids remember some of that. Remember those echoes of that. But then the third generation now, these are the people who are leading the church church and while they've stayed true to scripture and did not endure those who who violate god's word they have lost their love for jesus let me tell you what happens one generation after that that's one step from just completely dead orthodoxy and then just dead and there are churches, and I will say this, and, and not just not just uh, in the south, but in, in the Boston area that have lost their focus on, on loving Jesus, following Jesus, and believe that the greatest thing they can do is simply just remain true doctrinally. And they live, they live their Christian life here. We think rightly about the Christian faith. We think rightly about God. And listen, that's important. God cares about how you think about him. It's extremely important that we don't just make up how we think about God. Do you realize that in the book of Job, the job's friends like they just go off, they say stuff like chapter after chapter after chapter, and it's just some of it's, some of it's almost true, some of it's just complete dribble and And at the end, God, God says one very simple thing that, that he was ready to judge them immediately if Job did not intercede for them. He says, You have not said what is right about me. Now, God cares that we believe the right things, but Jesus is telling us right here that is not enough. That is not the Christian life. The Christian life, Jesus said, what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And anyone who has experienced the grace of Christ has a time where Jesus was their first love. Jesus puts his finger here on this danger of losing that. Every person in here, and I will say this, Every Christian I have ever met, every person in this room, has a temptation, if you have not already done it, to abandon your first love in Christ. Every I, I've only met like a handful of Christians who've sort of sustained a what high level of love for Christ, that, and, and, and I think that's actually just more of a spiritual gift than it is actually their you know, maybe natural walk or anything. But the vast majority of us will get caught up with life, caught up with family, caught up with work, caught up with bills, caught up with all of that and our hopes and dreams and our longings. And, and that's all part of living the Christian life. And we forget <laughs> Jesus. We forget that it's all about Jesus, right? The marriage conference yesterday, there were lots of good practical information. But one of the things I said at the very beginning is we come to marriage thinking about the fact that it's, it's really all about Jesus, your marriage is about Jesus. And if you can keep that, your love for Jesus, then God knows you have the resources to love each other through anything. You know, we're, we're trying to focus on mission this year. We're, we're trying to... Um, as a core value, it's it's the one we've I think we've struggled with maybe, and especially COVID. Like right, COVID COVID pulled a pin just threw a middle and a grenade right in the middle of mission for the church. Right, it became hard. It became uh, inviting someone. Hey, would you like to watch my church online? You know, like that's hard, right? Uh, and we've had a ton of people that are not Christians tune in. That's great, and and that's largely why we're still doing the live feed for for non Christians who are checking out, who are totally intimidated about the whole idea of visiting a church but they watch and they'll watch for a little while and then they'll show up, but that's hard. But, but I, I kind of wonder, this is, my, this is me as pastor resonating with what Jesus said for myself for our church. Maybe, just maybe, we don't have a passion for the mission of Christ because we've lost our passion for the Christ whose mission it is. Do you remember, maybe, if, maybe you're like me. I can't, I can't speak to your experience, but there was a point where I just couldn't wait to tell people about Jesus. I wanted to tell my coworkers. I wanted my cousins to know about Jesus. I wanted others to know about Jesus. I would talk to, to, to anyone. I, I, would, I had like radar up going, okay, is this the conversation that God's given me today to talk about Jesus? You know, I wasn't like wearing I Heart Jesus t-shirts and stuff and handing out tracts, but, um, but maybe that's your thing, that's fine. I'm, I'm not gonna knock that, God, God has used that. But, uh, but, but I thought about relationships when conversations would turn to Jesus or turn to something and I would go like, is, is this a space I can talk about Jesus? I ask you right now, well, I want you to hear something very, very important about what it means to abandon your first love. Jesus says you've abandoned your first love, which means there are other loves in your life which have now superseded your love for Christ. You see, it's not, a, it's not this, there's this love of Christ here in my heart and it's either here or it's here. No, your heart is a vacuum right? If Christ is filling, your love for Christ is filling your heart, right? His love is filling you and you're loving him in return. That's filling a space in your heart. If your love for Christ diminishes, it's because you're loving something else more. You are, and it can be a good thing. It may not be porn, okay? I know like Christians, we sometimes think, well, it's got to be a sinful thing. No, it can be a perfectly good thing like your family, like your job, it can be any number of good things that we make a God thing in our heart. And Jesus will not allow us to enjoy loving, loving him and loving something else as number one. He, he suffers no rivals. And so we abandon his love. And I would ask you, what is that for you? At least you should know what you're most tempted to love more than Jesus. Now, the good news. <laughs> Jesus isn't like, that's the end. You guys suck. You know, like (laughs) he doesn't finish there, thankfully. Jesus never condemns you. And if you're feeling convicted right now, it is not so you can just walk in guilt and shame and I'll just try harder tomorrow. I'll just get up. I know us. I know how we are. We'll all make a to-do list before the day's over, right? I'm gonna do this better and this better and this better. Don't do that. Stop that. Uh, Jesus already gives us what we need. You know what he tells us? Look at, this is the, the, the Jesus calling the church to act now. How do we respond now? Look at verse five. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. And then a warning, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And I want to deal with that end to, at the beginning. He is saying that the church, as it stands right now, is on a trajectory away from Jesus, and that one day it would cease to be a true church. You might have the sign out front, but it would the hey, uh, First Ephesian Church, right, hanging out front. Might have a beautiful building, not a church anymore. They not only lost the love of Jesus, but you know what happens after you lose the love of Jesus and you have dead orthodoxy? You begin to start compromising that orthodoxy usually. Because then you never, no longer have any love the love of Jesus constraining you. So Jesus gives us three things here: remember, repent, and renew. Remember, look back, look back at where you've been, look back at your past. If if you would say today, sitting here right now, that as if you're a Christian, that in your walk. There were point. there was a point or points in your life that you had loved Jesus more than you do right now. Like you just remember that. Just stop. Pause. Don't let that thought of what was just simply flee, flee through your head. Dwell on that. Remember that let Christ bring some of those feelings back up. The joy of thinking about Jesus, the joy of praying with brothers and sisters, the joy of being in his word, the joy of worshiping on a Sunday and singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. These were not empty words. It wasn't a tune you hummed. It was the song of your soul. You remember that. Remember it. Jesus, Satan wants to distract you. Get on your phone. You got other things to do today. Don't do that. Ignore him and remember. And maybe one of the best things you could do is some of you put your phone down, maybe this afternoon or something, and get your journal out and just write down what you remember of your time with Jesus when you loved him so much. There wasn't any relationship or anything in this world that rivaled him. I think about what we did, what you would do in those times uh, of, of deep love. Um, or he wants you to remember that. I think about Teresa. I'll be honest, when I, just as an example, when I loved, uh, fell in love with Teresa, I skipped meals. Like, there were meals. I forgot to eat. I'll be honest with you. I was like, oh, I got to go drive to see her, get in the car, like, forget to eat. Um, I, I would lose sleep. We'd stay up, like, crazy hours. I'd have 8 a.m. class. We'd stay up to 3 a.m. talking. I'm not saying it was smart, but... Uh, I and I'd get up. I would just get up the next morning, and and there was a joy about it. And I think it's it's remembering that that love of Christ. And then the second step, Jesus says, is repent, repent, turn away from your sin. I know repent sounds out of date. It's so, you know like a. a Antiquated term, right? But it's, 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 it's a biblical term. It, it, the, the root word literally means to change your mind. And so it's to change your mind about, turning, about sin, about valuing whatever that thing is in your life that you've valued more than Jesus and turning back towards him. Repent of it, loving your security, loving comfort, comfort loving your job, loving your achievements, loving your possessions, loving your family, whatever it is, repent of that and then be renewed renew renew yourself renew your works he says that you did at first this is an invitation you can stand around and wait for the spirit to change your heart or you can take the invitation he's saying is remember repent and now renew get to work chip away at your own the ice in your own heart you remember uh i know everybody has fancy ice makers now but there were points where ice makers were terrible and you just get a big clump of ice in the in the tray, and you'd have to pull it out. And there was this thing called an ice pick. And what would you do? You'd just <laughs> chip away at it until you got enough ice to put in a glass, right? Um, and so he's saying, chip away at it. Be active. Don't be passive. Maybe uh, maybe you need to figure out how to do that with your community group. I think this happens best in community group, but. But think about prayer. Think about a time when you used to pray to Jesus all the time. You found yourself praying to him throughout the day. You found yourself enjoying those times where you could pause and really talk to him. And you, here's the crazy thing you actually expected him to answer prayer requests, right? They weren't just things you lost it up into the sky. They were things you were like, God, save my friend. And you'd just pray and pray and pray. And sometimes they would just get saved. And you'd be like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. And that just excites you. And you'd pray more, right? Maybe you need to pray about a particular sin or a struggle in your life. You want to throw some gasoline on that prayer? Pick a day to fast. I'm telling you, there's a reason fasting is held up in Scripture and in church history as like prayer on steroids, right? Good steroids, not the evil kind. Um, Spending time in the Word. Time when you... I remember when God really stirred my heart for the Bible, so I believe, believe it or not, it wasn't day one as a Christian. Um, I know everybody thinks I've read like the Bible all the time my whole life, but I haven't. It was, it was sporadic. It was sporadic through college. Uh, even though I loved Jesus, I would read it and sometimes would read an hour, but it wasn't every day. And then um, when I was a second year MDiv student, uh, I remember God just brought me through a sweet renewal time and I would get up super early in the morning, super early. And I couldn't wait To get my cup of coffee, I'd have my coffee maker set to go off five minutes before I'd get up. Get up, I'd grab that cup of coffee and I had my chair. And I sat in that chair and it was usually an hour and it felt like sometimes 10 minutes because I was just soaking up Jesus in his word. I wanted to be with him. Some of you need to to do that. Begin that work again, begin prayer, but begin reading again. Read a chapter every day. I know, what do we tell people why we're not reading? I'm busy, right? I'm busy. I mean, that's what we tell ourselves and we tell other people. What we kind of really know, we kind of really know that we have five minutes in a day. Now, maybe you did a 24-hour shift at the hospital, so you get that day, right? Okay. But for an entire week, you didn't have five minutes? The truth is, and this is a hard truth, we don't spend time in God's word because we don't want to. Because we don't love the Jesus of his word. If we loved him, we would want to soak him in through his word. And so what we have, is not an organization problem, even though it's good to have organized reading groups, it's good to read with friends and things like that and have some accountability. But what we have is an affection problem. And I want to encourage you, Spend time reflecting on a day and time when you used to love to be with Jesus in his word and let that lead you into it. You need worship. You need to grow your affection for Christ. Worship music. We, I, I still can't get over this. We have access not only to incredible sermons, more sermons than any human people in human history. You have the ability to listen to the greatest preachers, listen to incredible sermons on podcasts. They're wonderful. But you have incredible opportunity to listen to worship, like really good, rich, well-produced, well-written worship music. Not what I was listening to in the early 90s when I became a Christian, Right? <laughs> I'd get my cassette tape out and I would, you know, crank up Maranatha music or whatever it was. Uh, some of you were around for that. Uh, and it wasn't an all terrible. There were good ones in there. But, um, but it's so good now. Like literally, you can put your mind and a heart in the middle of a Hillsong concert when you get up in the morning. Why don't we do that while we're getting ready? Put our earbuds in and, and just grab our heart and stir it towards Jesus. You know, we, we, we think, oh, I need to spend that lunch hour either looking over the news, checking in on Twitter and see what's happening in the world, what's happening in Ukraine right now, or social media, because I might miss something. Let me just say something. You know what happens if you don't do that, don't do those things? It's all still there. It just keeps going. And maybe you missed your cousin's fantastic hamburger lunch that they ate in their picture, Right? But you know what you did if you spent a half an hour in the word or a half an hour listening to worship music or a good Christian podcast? You stirred your affection to, towards Christ. That's gonna be a whole lot better for your life, isn't it? It's gonna help you to love that jerk of a coworker when you have to go off your lunch break, right? Or help you to love your spouse, love your neighbor, to, 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 to enjoy who Christ has made you to be. All right, let's land on the plane. Um, I remember the joy of serving together in the life of Co. in the early days and, and some of you were there, floor covers at seven AM <laughs> We, we met in a gym. <laughs> Some of you have only been around like two or three years. You're like, what? What? No, we met in a 1970s gym down the road in Driscoll Elementary. And we, floor covers, folding chairs, 245 folding chairs had to be put out. A stage, drapes, and then the sound system and the kids' ministry. It was insane. <laughs> but I remember the joys of that, of doing that, showing up there in the morning and. Uh, and, and, and doing that and worshiping together, there's a sweetness there. And I don't want us to lose that. I'm not saying it's gone. I'm saying I don't want us to forget that. I think Jesus would say, remember the joy of being a church on mission together. Remember the joy of being brothers and sisters in Christ in my community. Remember the joy I, that I am walking among you. And let your heart be stirred back to him. Jesus says, he, verse 7, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit. Says to the churches. So I'm going to invite you to repent today, if you haven't already. <laughs> Hopefully, maybe you have in your mind. But um, we're gonna we're gonna have a time of, of communion and and singing here in just a moment. And I want to encourage you if you're a follower of Jesus and you realize your heart has not been, you've abandoned your first love. Just to be blunt, to be honest, you know it. You know it deep down. And Jesus is not like putting his finger on there so he can just make you go spend a week in guilt and shame. He's inviting you back. And I think the thing he would ask you is, what are you loving? Maybe it's yourself. You've just become a bit of a narcissist, right? And, and he's saying, lay that down. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me again and find your first love. Do the works that you did when it began. And the good news is, as we take uh, communion here in a moment, that's, that's the invitation to take Jesus. We don't believe anything magically happens in communion, but there is something inherently spiritual about it. That the spirit, as we take the bread, we take the body of Christ afresh and anew. As we drink the cup, we drink the blood of Christ afresh and anew. We drink our redemption, we drink our savior, we take our savior's love. Let him stir your heart as you take communion again, hearing the words, I love you, and taking that in the love of Christ yourself. Maybe you need to take a few moments where you are to kneel, to pray maybe you uh, and when you're ready just make your way out the side door here um, and around back we have to take the communion outside of the room if you're new just because no food or drinks allowed in here Um, but anytime over this next song if you're not a Christian um, I know this is aimed way more towards Christians but I hope that you you hear the joy of, of, of who Jesus is and of his grace and his compassion he's not angry at his church he's inviting his church let's pray together Jesus, we know that you walk among us. He said, even here that in, in revelation that you walk among the lampstands, you are present. You're not far off. God is, as we even think about that, we, we know it exposes our hearts. It exposes our works. And Lord, I pray we would not run from that, but that we would remember where we have fallen from. remember, the time when we walked with you and you were the joy of our hearts and souls. Help us to repent of loving other things more and to renew, renew the works we did at the beginning that we might walk with you more fully, experience your presence more fully, live on mission, serve others, do justice and mercy in your name. We take the bread in the cup. We know it's it's already done. Everything we need. All we need to do is turn. Thank you.